Amen. How you guys doing? Swell. Wonderful. Yay. Thank you, Jesus. The weather has been so much nicer this week. Praise God. Yay. Um, man, it was. It has been. It's been wonderful. A really beautiful, beautiful weather. So thank God for that. And uh, the fast is over. <laughs> we can eat whatever we want. Um, so uh, it's been a really wonderful time. Uh, these 21 days, uh, this awakening time with you all. Uh, I loved. How many of you guys enjoyed Wednesday night and the worship night? Um, that was wonderful. Uh, having that time together to just seek God together as a family. Uh, it's, been, it's been a really good time. And so I know that I've been blessed by these last three weeks, and my prayer is that you have as well. And I would love to hear about what God's done in your heart or if there was something that God spoke to you over the last three weeks that really was special or anything like that. I would love to hear it. Uh, any praise reports of something that God did over the last three weeks, anything at all, um, I, we would all love to hear it. And so if you have any testimonies of how God spoke to you or something he did in you or a revelation that he gave you or, or a favorite verse that he highlighted to you, whatever it is, um, you can use that little prayer card on the seat back in front of you and just write in a little praise of something that God did that was a blessing in your life over the last 21 days. I would love for us to be able to celebrate that together as a church. Does that sound good? So I would encourage you guys to do that. It'd be really cool to hear kind of collectively and we can keep it anonymous and everything else if you want to, um, but just hear from all of us uh, how God spoke to us and moved in our hearts over the last three weeks. Uh, and I'm excited about doing this again, um, hopefully next year as well to kick off our year. I think it's a great way to schedule first what matters most and that's seeking the Lord. So, um, so we're going to do that again. It's going to be wonderful. Um, so let me ask you guys a question. How many of you guys have seen, okay, I'm a movie buff, so I like movies, but it's a classic with Kevin Costner, Field of Dreams. How many of you guys have seen Field of Dreams? Okay, good, good. So I'm speaking to the right people. Let's go. Um, so it's funny because I'm not like a huge baseball guy, a baseball fan, but I, I loved the movie. Uh, and what was so unique about this movie, and it has so many correlations to faith, because he hears a voice speaking to him. Right when he's walking through his cornfield, this Iowa farmer telling him, if you build it, they will come. And he's like, build what? <laughs> and he comes to find out that it's a baseball diamond, right? But he needs the money from his crops, and it's going to be crazy to do it. It's going to cost money, and it's like, why would you do this? It doesn't make any sense, but he just feels this conviction uh, that he's supposed to do it. And so anyways, he moves forward with it all, and his wife is supporting him in it, and they build this baseball diamond in the middle of Iowa, in the middle of his farm, and it doesn't make a whole lot of sense. It's going to cost him money. And then something, like, amazing happens, miraculous. These old players of Major League Baseball show up, um, just like the ghosts of these players show up and play games at this field, and it's this redemptive story. Because it's the team that threw the World Series in 1919, and they had this terrible reputation, these players, but yet uh, they had a shot at redemption of kind of coming back again and being able to play once again. And then the movie goes on, there's all these different unique characters that get these opportunities to kind of be redeemed, their reputation to be cleared, in a sense. And, uh, and he, this guy puts everything on the line for the sake of 
this vision, this dream, and for these men to kind of have their names cleared. And so what I, what's so refreshing about that is so much of our culture today is about building our reputation, right? We want to have a good reputation among people. We want people to speak well of us. We want people to think well of us. And so we try to project a certain image that we think is going to be acceptable to people and that it is going to be celebrated in whatever way that we can. But what's amazing about this story is he puts his reputation on the line for the sake of someone else and for their reputation. And that's just so refreshing in this culture and in this time. And I believe there's so many different, um, different connotations to our faith in this story that when we choose to put our reputation on the line to make God's name great, not only will people come, just like that voice said, if you build it, they will come. Because the Bible says if we lift the Lord up, what? He will draw all men to himself, right? And so not only will people come to him, but what's cool in the story is this guy's dad, who was an old player in minor league baseball, shows up as well, and he gets to reconnect with his father. And that's like the premise of the whole thing. And when we make God's reputation our number one goal, our legacy for life, not only are people drawn to him and experience redemption and experience transformation, salvation, freedom, healing, but God shows up. God shows up where he's honored. And if we choose to dedicate our life's work to building his reputation, then guess where God shows up? In our lives. Amen? And so that's the focus, and that's what I want to close out this series on, is this idea of building up God's reputation, making his name great. So the title of the message is, if you build it, they will come. If you build it, they will come. So we're continuing in our series, After God's Heart, where we're zooming in on the life of David, who is the ultimate seeker of God. I mean, this guy was passionate about God, and he put seeking God at the center of every aspect of human experience that mattered most. So he, we, we talked about the first week how David put seeking God at the center of his heart, the seat of human emotion. Everything that he was, his identity, his core convictions, all of his conscience, everything, his mind, will, and emotions was centered around the idea of seeking God with all of his heart. And we learned in Jeremiah 29, 13, that if you seek me, God says, if you seek me, you will find me if you seek me with all of your heart. So we've been asking the question, how do we do that? How do we seek God with all of our heart? Because we want to find him. We want to experience everything that God has for us, and we want his name to be made great. So David put seeking God at the center of his heart. And that was his number one petition. We talked about that. The number one thing that he prayed was this one thing, Lord, I seek that I might be with you, see you, and seek you. Dwell in your house, gaze upon your beauty, seek you in your temple. That was his prayer. That was his desire. That was literally his heart's cry. He sought that above all else. And then he went to God for his essential needs, he looked for God everywhere and in everything, and he found him, whether it was in nature or in hardship or in victories or in people. And then every time he found the Lord, what did he do? He exalted him. 
He took every opportunity to exalt God. Every day he played that I spy God game, right? And he found him and he exalted him and found a reason to bless his name so that his praise would never depart from his lips. And then last week we talked about how God, how David put seeking God at the center of his dream. That his dream was to be near to the Lord. And his dream is fulfilled in our lifetime. That it's our reality. That God makes his home in our hearts. Our hearts are the temple of the Holy Spirit. That Christ will dwell in our hearts through faith. That's what scripture says. How incredible is that? So how do we live into that dream? We talked about it last week. Engage our faith. When we're singing to God, when we're praying, we believe that God hears the words that are coming forth from our mouth and that he is in the room. God is in the room right now. The spirit of God is here. He's here. And so when we pray, we're, we're talking to a person who is alive and who is listening and who cares and who loves us more than anyone else on this planet. And when we're worshiping and singing to him, we're singing to a person who is worthy of every ounce of our affection and affirmation and love and glory, honor, dedication, devotion. And so we use our faith. We engage our hearts. We leave our image at the door like David, being undignified saying, I will be humiliated in my own eyes in order to worship the Lord. We tell God the truth, how we feel. We trust our hearts and trust our hearts to him, and we meditate on truth. And then today, we're talking about the last area of David's life. So he puts seeking God at the center of his heart, of his dream, and then today we're going to talk about his legacy. His legacy, what he would leave behind the impact that he would make on this world, how he would be remembered. Now, I know in our world today, we talk a lot about dreams. Dreams is a common thing. People are talking about what they want to accomplish in their life, right? We hear it all the time. It, it's celebrated in our culture, accomplishment, right? And so we want to do great things. You can do anything. And that's not always true <laughs> you know, for everyone. You can do anything. Um, but that's, that's the message. You know, you can do anything. You can accomplish anything. Come on, reach for the stars. And it's all about these amazing dreams and what you can accomplish in your lifetime, right? And that's good. And we should set out to accomplish things in the name of Jesus. That's great. There's nothing wrong with that. But as we get a little bit older, I feel like, and a little bit wiser, um, the, the question changes. And it's not about what we can accomplish with our life it becomes more of how will we be remembered? Not what can I accomplish, but how am I going to be remembered? You know, I, there is a question that went around um, for a while that was really popular when we, they had that uh, whole movement of one month to live. Did you guys, you guys remember that at all? There was this book that came out. It was really popular for a while in churches, one month to live, and it was like living every day like it was your last. And, and one of the big questions for that movement was, what will people say about you? You know, when you pass, what are, what are they going to say? The people that know you best, not just anybody, but the people who know you best, what will they say about you? How will you be remembered? So I want us to take a moment and just think about that a little bit. Think about that question. 
If there was like a celebration of your life today, just like even if you're alive, but there's a celebration of your life, which is great. Everyone someone decides to honor you. And, and people come up and they share about you, but you're not in the room, so they're going to be honest. <laughs> what, would, what would they say? What would people say about you? What, what the, especially those who really know you. That's what we're leaving behind. It's not about what we do as much as it's about who we are and what we're about. Who are you and what are you about? And you look at David. How was David remembered? You see it in Scripture. How did God make sure that David was remembered? As what? A man after God's heart. That's how he's remembered. He made a bunch of dumb mistakes in his life. He did terrible things. And he did really good things. But he was remembered as a man after God's heart because that's who he was and that's what he was about. So who are you and what are you about? So we're going to look at David's life and, and look at how he left that legacy how that was the thing that he was remembered by, a man after God's heart, okay? So let's look in 1 Chronicles 22, verse 5. It says, David said, my son Solomon, now this is at the end of David's life. He's setting up Solomon to be the new king of Israel. He said, David says, my son Solomon is young and inexperienced in the house to be built for the Lord. Again, he's talking about God's house. What do you know? Should be of great magnificence and fame and splendor in the sight of all the nations. Therefore, I will make preparations for it. So David made extensive preparations before his death. Okay, so the last thing he's doing in his life, we've already established that this has been David's heart and soul since he was a shepherd out in the fields before Goliath. He's been singing to God and, and, and praising him and loving him and honoring him. And then all along the way, you see this constant thread of seeking God at the center of everything that he did. He did everything he could to bring the Ark of the Covenant, the presence of God into Jerusalem where he was going to be. And then he wanted to build God's house and a house for the Lord early on when he first became king. But God told him, no, that's not for you. That's going to be for your son. And so he says, all right, then. I'm going to do everything I can to get my son set up to build this incredible house for the Lord. So this, this was on David's heart at the end of his life. And then 1 Chronicles 22, verse 17, it says, David also commanded all the leaders of Israel to help his son Solomon, saying, Is not the Lord your God with you? And has he not given you rest on every side? For he has given the inhabitants of the land into my hand, and the land is subdued before the Lord and before his people." Now set your heart and your soul to seek the Lord your God. Arise, therefore, and build the sanctuary of the Lord God so that you may bring the Ark of the Covenant, there it is again, of the Lord and the holy vessels of God into the house that is to be, to be built for the name of the Lord. So you can tell the value that David puts on and still has on seeking the Lord even at the end of his life. His legacy is all about this. Look at what he says. At the end of his life, he's setting up his son Solomon to be king over a nation. Now, this is a huge responsibility. <laughs> You're going to be king of a country. 
that millions of people looking to you to lead them. This is a massive deal. So Solomon's in this position. He's setting Solomon up, and he's preparing him for this huge work. It's not like being voted in as a president for four years. I mean, this is his lifetime he is going to be the king, right? He's going to be responsible for this nation of people. So David is preparing him. Now, what's amazing about these chapters in 1 Chronicles of David preparing Solomon is chapters 22 through 26, he spends five chapters of the six, five on instructions for the temple and its worship. That, he's preparing his son. Five of the six chapters on instruction for the temple and its worship, and then one chapter on everything else. Military leadership, military, the leadership, kings, overseers, and council, everything else is all bottled up into one. And then all the rest of this time is just dedicated to the Lord's temple and preparing him for that. You see how important it was to David. First, schedule first what matters most, right? This was what mattered most in David's heart and in his life. David's heart was to see God. We established that in week one. His dream was to be near him, but his legacy was to make his name great. That, that was the legacy he wanted to leave behind. I want to make God's name great. I want to build up his, not my reputation, his reputation. I want the world to know. Look at what he says about the temple. He says in, in verse 5, he said, the house to be built for the Lord should be of great magnificence and fame and splendor in the sight of all the nations. He wants everyone to see how great God is. This is what he wanted, to lift up the name of God. And you see it with all of his worship, all of his prayers, everything else was always about looking for every opportunity to exalt him, but that was his life's work, was to build up his reputation so that people might see him the way that he saw him. And so then after a brief pause to cover logistics, he returns to the temple again, talking about it again in First Chronicles. He gathers everyone together, the whole nation, and his final words are again centered on seeking the Lord. Look at what he says to the nation. In 28, 1 Chronicles 28, verse 1 and 2, David summoned all the officials of Israel to assemble at Jerusalem, the officers over the tribes, the commanders of the divisions in the service of the king, the commanders of thousands and commanders of hundreds, and the officials in charge of all the property and livestock belonging to the king and his sons, together with the palace officials, the warriors, and all the brave fighting men. So he made sure to get everybody. King David rose to his feet and said, Listen to me, my fellow Israelites, my people. I had it in my heart to build a house as a place of rest for the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord, for the footstool of our God, and I made plans to build it. And then in verse 8, he goes on to talk, talk to Solomon and charge Solomon in front of the entire congregation. Verse 8, he says, So now I charge you, his son Solomon, in the sight of all Israel, and of the assembly of the Lord, and in the hearing of our God, be careful to follow all the commands of the Lord your God, that you may possess this good land and pass it on as an inheritance to your descendants forever. And you, my son Solomon, acknowledge the God of your father 
and serve him with wholehearted devotion and with a willing mind. For the Lord searches every heart and understands every desire and every thought. And then look, there's our verse, there's our line again. If you seek him, he will be found by you. But if you forsake him, he will reject you forever. Another translation says, if you seek him, he'll make sure you find him. So not only was seeing God his greatest petition, being near his life stream, David wouldn't rest until others saw God the way he did. He would not rest. I want you all to see God. That's what David was saying. All of you. If you could only see what I see when I look at him. If just see the, man, he's so incredible, beautiful, glorious. I just want you to see that. Man, because I know if you saw it, then your whole life would be in his hands. Every second of your life would just be enamored with who he is because he's so beautiful and wonderful and his glory is everywhere you look if you're just looking for it. It's like, I just want you to see God the way I see him because then I know that you would stay true. You would be faithful. You would serve him. And his name would be made great among the nations of the world and all men will be drawn to him. Because David knew that God wasn't just the God of Israel. He was the God of this world. He wanted every man, woman, and child to know that and to know God. This should be our legacy as well, our aim and our life's work, to make his name great. What else is there? He made us in his image It's because of him that we exist. He's given everything to us. He's given everything for us, even his own life, his own son, everything so that we might know him. And then he's blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. He's made us blameless before him in love when we didn't deserve it. He's made us accepted in the beloved. He's adopted us into a family that we didn't belong in. And he's given us everything that we need for life and godliness. He is life itself and he's given us himself. So what else, what more do we need? He deserves every ounce of our life, our legacy, building up his reputation. What's great is David, he never built the temple. He didn't get to do that but he did get to build something. He helped build up God's reputation in this world. He helped to bring attention to his name, an accurate picture of just how good and glorious God is. He did get to build that. You might think, well, how? I mean, you can't make God's name great. His name is great. You know, Jesus is the name above every name. Every name will bow, every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is the Lord. Philippians 2, right? You can't make his name any more great than it already is. Yes and no. Yes, his name is absolutely the greatest ever, and it always will be because he's the God of the universe. But in the eyes of people out here, what's his reputation like? How do they see him? Or do they see him at all? 
A lot, a lot of people probably not. They don't, even, they don't even think about God at all. And if they do, it's kind of like, oh, yeah, he's that guy up there in the sky. Big man upstairs. You know? You know? <laughs> After you score a touchdown. <laughs> right? That's about it. <laughs> Just want to thank the big man upstairs for giving me this opportunity. You know, right? That's about it. That's the reputation. He's upstairs, and he's big. So we can represent him well. The Bible says that we are ambassadors of the heavenly kingdom. We are representatives of Jesus. Meaning part of our job, our duty as followers of Christ is to imitate Christ. To represent him to the world. Because guess what? He's in heaven. He's not here right now. So who's representing him? Us. If people want to know what Jesus is like, the only people that they can look to are his followers. So that rests upon us. David was always pointing people back to God, not just to look in God's direction, but to stand in awe of him, to worship him. So David paints this incredible picture of who God is constantly in front of the people, constantly bringing attention to him, constantly talking about his temple, constantly talking about worship. And then what happens? The people respond. They respond to this. In chapter 29 of Chronicles, they come and they start giving all these gifts for the building of the temple. And it's ridiculous. I mean, they just the whole nation comes and brings these amazing offerings for the building of the temple. Overwhelming response. Because they're, they're seeing it. They're seeing just how big, how amazing, how unique, how glorious God is. And they respond and listen to the last thing we have recorded of David saying in First Chronicles. This is the last thing that he says. First Chronicles 29, 20. It's so fitting for him. Then David said to the whole assembly, five words, praise the Lord your God. That was the last thing we ever recorded. Praise the Lord your God. So they all praised the Lord, the God of their fathers. They bowed down, prostrating themselves before the Lord and the King. That sounds like how David worshiped. You see that? He was giving an example to them with his life. And that was the legacy that he left behind. If you build it, they will come. If we dedicate our life to building up God's reputation, to making his name great, magnifying him, glorifying him, and pointing people to him, people will be drawn to him. They will taste and see that the Lord is good when we choose to be the salt and the light. Matthew 5.16 says, In the same way, let your light shine before others. They may see your good works and glorify your Father in heaven. Whose good works are they seeing? It says, your good works. But who are they glorifying? Are they glorifying you? No. The Father. They'll see your good works and glorify the Father in heaven. Because we represent him. And guess what? When they come to us, what do we do? 
We point him there. Oh, this isn't me. It's all him. It's only by the grace of God. So then the question is, how do we do this? How do we make our life work about building up God's name, making his name great, his reputation great in this world? I want to look at David's charge to Solomon because I think we find part of the answer, at least in this charge that David gives to his son. In 1 Chronicles 28, we read it earlier, 8 and 9. We'll just read verse 9. It says, And you, my son Solomon, acknowledge the God of your father. Serve him with wholehearted devotion and with a willing mind. For the Lord searches every heart and understands every desire and every thought. And if you seek him, he'll be found by you. So number one, how can we help make his name great? Number one, awareness. Awareness. He says, acknowledge the Lord your God. Acknowledge him. We can't point people to God and make his name great if we're not thinking about him. Right? If we're not thinking about him, then they're not going to be thinking about him. We can't help other people think about him because we're not thinking about him. So it starts with us, with our own awareness of God with us at all times. We've talked about this before, acknowledging the fact that God is with us. Proverbs 3, 5, and 6, right? Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge him, and he shall direct your paths. He directs your paths when you acknowledge him in all your ways. Then he can direct you. But it comes back to acknowledgement, awareness, giving God the attention that he deserves and recognizing the fact that he is literally with us at all times and in every situation, at every place in our lives. God is right here, right now, and later. And we're driving in the car, and when you're going to bed, and when you're watching the Chiefs play in the Super Bowl when they win, again, over the Niners, you know? He's there too, rooting for the Chiefs, of course. I don't know. <laughs> but I went too far. Uh, but he's there. He's always there. Pray, it's, it's honestly, I believe that this is prayer without ceasing. It's just acknowledging that God is always with us. And when we do that, guess what? We'll talk to him <laughs> because he's worthy of our trust. He's trustworthy. We can tell him about what's going on in our lives, how we feel, everything, because he's always there. And we can pr pray without ceasing. Acknowledging God always. David said when he woke up, when you wake up in the morning, he would see God. He said, Lord, I want to wake up in your likeness. When I, when I rise in the morning, you are there. He knew it. As soon as he woke up, hey, God, what's up? You're there. As soon as we wake up, when we wake up in our beds, we can just say a little word to the Lord. God, whew, I'm tired. <laughs> Lord, help me, give me some energy for today, you know, or it can be that, or it can be, Lord, I know I have this meeting today at work. God, will you just please give me peace, be with me. We wake up, we turn over, Lord. Thank you for my spouse. They're amazing. You know, that's what I do every morning, of course. And I go on and on about that, you know, five, ten minutes. No, um, but we... We talk to God as soon as we wake up. Just start. Open the, open the door. The conversation is open. It has begun. And then throughout the day, he's there. 
And then David said, in the night watches, I seek the Lord on my bed. And I'm going to bed, just even praying. I remember my, Katie and I used to pray every night. We haven't done this. I mean, we pray every night, but we haven't done this in a while. Um, but I remember I used to pray and ask God, God, speak to me in my dreams. I don't want my relationship with you and that connection to be severed when I'm dreaming either. I want that always to be open. So Lord, speak to me. And sometimes he would. Sometimes he wouldn't. Sometimes I had some weird dreams, and I'm like, that wasn't God. <laughs> but when we go to bed, when we wake up in the night watches, always acknowledging him. Number one is awareness. Number two, wholeheartedness. An undivided heart. He said, serve him with wholehearted devotion. Wholehearted devotion. I think there's a lot of things that we can give our hearts to in, in life. And it can be easy to do. And it can start completely innocent and fine. Uh, like we have a desire. We have a preference for something. We like something. That's fine. There's nothing wrong with that. But then what happens is if we start putting our hope in something to fulfill us, if we start putting our hope in something to make us complete, if we start putting our hope in something, then it becomes a craving, a longing of our heart. And we're giving a part of our heart, which is sacred to God, to something other than him. And a lot of times it's very subtle. We don't even notice that it's happening. But we start putting our hope in something else other than Jesus, to fulfill us and to bring us life. And then it sets us up for distance from the Lord because we learn how to operate in life apart from him. And then before we know it, we've drifted, right? So how do we guard our heart like David talked about and make sure that our heart isn't divided? 1 John 2, 15 through 17 says, Do not love this world nor the things it offers you. For when you love the world, you do not have the love of the Father in you. For the world offers only a craving, there's that word, for physical pleasure, a craving for everything we see, and pride in our achievements and possessions. These are not from the Father, but are from this world. And this world's fading away along with everything that people crave. But anyone who does what pleases God will live forever. So we have to be mindful of what our little quick fix medications are in our life. Right? The things that we, we go to for relief. Instead of rest or restoration that comes from the Lord, we can go to different things for a sense of relief from life, you know? And that could be everything from checking our phone, it could be a movie, it could be sports, it could be whatever. There's all sorts of different things that can bring a sense of relief. But we have to be careful. Again, it doesn't mean that we can't engage with those things. We just have to be careful that those things don't become an object of our hope. Does that, does that make sense? And so that's how we keep our heart from being divided. So it's wholehearted devotion to the Lord. And I'm not saying this is easy. This is a constant intentional effort, right? Paul said that I die daily to my flesh. Like every day I have to intentionally say no flesh, bad flesh, no. You know, and we have to do that. And that's what God invites us to, wholeheartedness. So awareness, number two is wholeheartedness. And then number three, devotion. 
He says wholehearted devotion, being devoted to God. This is just straight up. It's pretty simple. It's black and white. Obedience. What God says goes. This is how we make his name great because he will lead us in that path. Obedience. What is God asking of us? And are we saying yes to him? And I remember I used to say this to my kids. I still say it sometimes. But I say, delayed obedience is disobedience. Delayed obedience is disobedience because I'm, I'm saying no for now. <laughs> you know, I will eventually say yeah, but I'm still saying no. Delayed obedience is disobedience. And, I rem- and another thing that we say is obey right away, all the way, and in a happy way. Obey right away. All the way, not halfway do it, okay, kids? And then in a happy way, have a good attitude when you obey. And I think God invites us to do the same thing. Right away, all the way, in a happy way. Be obedient, faithful, having honor and integrity and honesty. Maintaining our commitments to God and to people. And this one, devotion, goes even outside of the church and outside our relationship with God. That we have a good reputation, the Bible says, to have a good reputation among those who are outside the church. What's our work ethic like? Are we humble and teachable? Are we excellent in the things that we do? Do we love people well? Do we treat people with dignity and respect? Man, if we want to make God's name great... We have that reputation among those who don't know Christ. That's unique. You see what I'm saying? That's amazing. And the Bible instructs us to do so. What is our reputation out there? Are we devoted? Colossians 3.23, do we do do everything that we do wholeheartedly as unto the Lord and not to man? When we're working our job, are we doing it for the Lord and not for our boss? When we're parenting, when we're spending time with our spouse, when we're loving the people around us, is it for God? It's not for us. It's his reputation, right? It's for him. Are we devoted? Is the world seeing that? That's number three. So we have awareness, wholeheartedness, devotion. And lastly, he says, and with a willing mind, willingness. Willingness, surrender, open-handedness. You can say, well, that's kind of obedience. It, it is, but there is a, an intentionality to listen for the voice of God at all times and be ready. Like we want to obey right away, all the way in the happy way, but we have to hear God in order to do so, don't we? So is, are our spiritual ears open? Are we willing in any moment, at any time, wherever we find ourselves to say yes to God? and to walk in step with the Holy Spirit. Because there's all these amazing opportunities that will present themselves when we're walking with the Spirit of God, pouring into a person's life, saying the right word of encouragement at the right time, empathy and compassion, humility, lifting others up, caring for them, speaking what God is saying to someone before when they don't even know the Lord. I mean, this is amazing stuff, and this makes his name great. They see our good works, but they glorify the Father. So, 
awareness, wholeheartedness, devotion, willingness. We make God's name great. And I want to close with this. And this is kind of closing out the series. A little capstone to the series here. So if or when we look for Jesus, Scripture says what? We find him. Right. We look for Jesus, we find him. We do it with all our heart. So when we look for Jesus, we find him. Yes! Awesome! Wonderful! Nailed it. Look for Jesus, we find him. When we look at Jesus, we imitate him. You become what you behold. If you're always looking at Jesus, if you're looking to him, in your glory, and you're taking every opportunity to exalt him, and you're constantly being mindful of his presence with you, then guess what? He's going to rub off on you. You're going to start imitating him, just like our kids imitate their parents, right? It's the highest form of respect of someone is to imitate them. Like when our kids, when my kids try to pretend like they're shaving when I'm shaving, and when they say the things that I say, and it's so cute, and, and it's just wonderful. It's, it, it feels wonderful, and I think God feels the same way. But when we look at Jesus, when, we're, when our eyes are on him, we're going to start to imitate God. We're going to start to do the things that we see him doing, start to say the things that he would say, start to treat people the way he treats people, because our eyes are on him. And then we look for Jesus, we find him, we look at Jesus, we imitate him. And when we look like Jesus, we honor him. That's how we make his name great. When we look like Jesus, we're honoring him. We are representing him well. Romans 8, 29 says that we are predestined to be conformed into the image of God's son. Our destiny is to look like Jesus. That's what God has planned for all of us, that he might be the firstborn among many brethren. We are predestined to be conformed into his image and to look like him. And that's gonna draw people to him. They're gonna taste and see that the Lord is good. They're gonna say yes to Jesus. He's lifted up, he'll draw all people to himself. Paul said this, and this is the last thing, last verse I'll say. <laughs> Not the last thing, I got one more thing to say. Um, Paul said this, when it comes to boasting, when it comes to what he can be proud of, right? The world's proud of its achievements and successes, right? It's proud, it's proud of, we, it teaches us to be proud of what we own, what, what we accomplish, but Paul said, the only thing I can boast in, and this is Paul, okay? Wrote a third of the New Testament, right? Two-thirds, you know, something. A lot. Paul says this, may I never boast except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ, through which the world has been crucified to me and I to the world. That's my only. I got nothing else. My life is about lifting up Jesus, making his name great and boasting in the gospel. 
the God who saves, the God who redeems, the God who liberates, who heals, loves, and is merciful and gracious to us. My boast is in the cross of Jesus. And so, even though this awakening time is over, and these three weeks have passed, and we're seeking the Lord, we're taking that time to do so, let it be a catalyst. Not just something that's like, oh man, that was a great time. All right, back to normal life. Let it propel us into a deeper devotion. Into orienting every aspect of our thoughts, our desires, our heart, our dream, and our legacy around seeking God and making his name great. What could God do in this city if every follower of Jesus made this our life's work? Man, that's exciting. And I want to be a part of that. Amen? Amen. Well, I want to pray over you guys as we close out the service today. So if everyone just could bow your heads and close your eyes. I just want to take a moment and just receive from the Spirit of God. God Almighty, you are here. We acknowledge your presence. Thank you, God, that you never leave us and you never forsake us. What an honor it is to be invited in to the most holy place, to where your glory dwells. Lord, that you would choose to make our hearts your home. God, we're honored by that. Father, would you help us? Help us live into that reality. Father, would you help us to make your name great? Help us to be mindful of you. To not give away parts of our heart into false hopes. Or will you help us to remain devoted or to not hesitate or when you tell us to go, when you tell us to speak, when you tell us to do something. Lord, help us to obey right away. Lord God, give us the grace to do so. Strengthen our resolve, God, in our faith. May we be willing and devoted. And Father, I pray for this church, for every man and woman, boy and girl in this body. Lord God, may we represent you well. Everywhere we go, help us to put out there a correct and accurate representation of who you are. And give us wisdom and discernment on how to point people to you, how to love them well.
of our attention. You're worthy of our heart, our dream, our legacy. God, if it wasn't for you, none of us would be here. We would have no hope in this life. And so, Father, in this moment, we willingly surrender all to you. Be glorified through us, Jesus. We love you, Father. Bless this incredible group of people as we continue to seek you in the days, weeks, months, and years ahead. May that be what's said about us. That we're seekers of God. Men and women after your heart. In Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. I love you guys. Appreciate you all. You're wonderful, wonderful, wonderful people. And just so you know, I see Jesus in you. It's awesome. So, have a wonderful week. And for those of you who are going to be staying for the members meeting, give us about 10, 15 minutes to kind of get everything set up and, and everything to check in. Make sure to grab your kids and everything else. And then we'll see you back in here in a few minutes for that. Love you guys. Have a wonderful week.